Hello, everyone. It's that time again, the reason for hope. We're very glad that you're joining us. <laughs> we're really glad we're here. Oh, yes, we are. We are glad. We are glad to be here. We're glad that you're out there joining us, whatever platform you've found us on, a reason for hope. In case it's your first time or if you've forgotten already since yesterday, we are a live broadcast that's based around your questions on the Bible. It's an opportunity for you to ask Bible questions. So <clears throat> if there's a verse or passage of scripture you've read in your daily reading, like what on earth does that mean? How does that apply to my life? Doesn't seem to be relevant. I just can't figure it out. Something like that. You can ask us and we'll help you navigate that. Maybe um, something you're going through in your life, you're facing a difficult decision or maybe a, you know just a joyous mountaintop time but you want to honor the Lord with it what does the Bible say about your circumstances could be something like that or maybe other worldviews and religions how they relate to Christianity you might be a, a seeker as we we call them you have questions about what Christianity is um, is there life after death salvation how do we find God anything along those lines anything that we can answer from the word and as long as it's an honest and sincere question wherever you're at in your walk in life, you're welcome to ask that question to us. As long as you know the Bible is going to be where we find the answers on this program as accurately as we possibly can as we navigate that with you. My name's Dave Robson. I'll be your host today, so I'll be on all those platforms with you as your questions come on in. I'll go over those in just a moment, just so you know the different ways of joining us with us today. Our senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, Pastor Scott Sky. Richards. That was quite a formal introduction, wasn't it? Yes. It's almost like a little, uh, yes. our senior pastor here. Ta-da! That's right. Here, here I am. Ta-da. Not much of an entrance, but yeah. there he is. Yeah. How are yeah. you doing today? I'm doing great. Good. It's yeah. good to see you. Yeah, great. Uh, looking forward to answering the questions. Yeah. It seemed like we were a little rushed getting to the show today, so we're like, we're still kind of breathing. Everything's working, though, I see. So also with us, Pastor Sean Richards, a regular over here. How are you doing today? Dare I ask? We're in burgundy. You are in burgundy. That's a nice color on you. I do like it. Yeah, I do like it. Yeah, that's kind of my favorite color, like rusty, rusty orangey, browny colors. So I'm very happy with that. Well Congealed done. Congealed blood. <laughs> well, when you put it like that, I don't know. I've kind of gone off it now, but yeah. anyway, thank you both for being here. We appreciate your faithfulness to this ministry. It's been years and years and years now. We've been doing this, and we appreciate you. We appreciate your time spent in the Word, your studies that we can all benefit from with our questions. Well, as I mentioned, Reason for Hope is a live broadcast Monday through Friday. We're with you 5 to 6 p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona. That's Mountain Standard Time. Of course, you can join us all around the world. If you are in the Tucson area looking for somewhere to worship, somewhere to go to church, you're welcome to come check us out, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We're right near Prince and I-10 on the west side uh, of the freeway, a very glamorous business park right there, right near the vehicle emissions place. So why not get your emissions tested on your car and then stop by and see us at Calvary Christian Fellowship. <laughs> it's a twofer. <laughs> hey, that's yeah. right. You can get all your errands done. Um, but so you're more than welcome uh, to come and check out services. We have Sunday morning services, a Wednesday evening service. We teach through the Bible. We're a Calvary Chapel affiliated church. Our website's calvarychristianfellowship.com. You can get more details there or certainly reach out if you have any questions. That watch live tab will take you to our live page or if you type in ccftucson.online.church straight into your browser that will take you straight to that page ccftucson.online.church or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com you can sign in with a username and then um, send your question in i'll be right there with you waiting for your question today when we're offline you, you'll see a countdown to our next event and a, a schedule of upcoming events as well so you can see what we have coming up. We try and stream a lot of things that we do. Um, we were blessed that we were already streaming before COVID, but certainly since COVID, we try to get everything online uh, for those people that have to be 
at home and get those resources, get the word out there in different ways. We're on Facebook as well, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on Facebook or facebook.com slash CCF Tucson. Don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that. But if you send in your question on the comments, I'll be right there with you as well. I'll be multiple places at once. Well, not the same time, jumping from one to the other. Only God can be in multiple places at once, but I do the best that I can. So Facebook, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Again, don't forget to share us around if you would. If you've been blessed, why not share the blessing? We have an app for your mobile device as well. You've guessed it, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. You can watch us on your mobile device. You might be in a coffee shop. You might be wandering around and want to take us with you. Um, we have a uh, channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. If you go to your channel store, once again, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, add us as a channel, then you can watch us on your big screen. And I believe you can access archives and things like that there as well. We're on YouTube. A Reason for Hope is the channel name on YouTube. A Reason for Hope. You'll find us there. And uh, it's a great place for archived videos. Whenever we've been live, it automatically, immediately archives there. So if you missed the show, even if you just missed it, it'll be right there on YouTube for you. And you can recap um, past shows. You'll see a um, just a rundown of the questions we covered and things like that. There's other videos we post as well. A Reason for Hope on YouTube. Don't forget to like and uh, subscribe and uh, ring the bell and you'll get a notification when uh, we're live so you won't even have to think about it we'll just come right to you uh, we're on x or pastor scott here is on x formerly known as twitter scott r4h scott letter r number four letter h on twitter how's twitter going these days i'm uh, sure there's... it's it's uh definitely uh a lively uh <laughs> place a lot lion's of den li live uh lively interactions for yeah, sure yeah yeah What's, what's some of the recent things you've been posting? I know I often say, uh, you know, obviously things going on in Israel from a biblical perspective, but um, I don't want to misrepresent well, what you post. Well, we, uh, we've been keeping people up to date on uh, the, uh, not only the conflict going on uh, between Israel and Hamas and ultimately Iran, uh, some uh, interesting uh, gyrations that are being uh, handled by our uh, U.S. State Department uh, the United States uh, having to decide uh, essentially who they're going to back in this conflict, Iran or Israel. Some uh, interesting developments along those lines, but we'll talk a little bit about that in our prophecy update. Okay, you know great. I mean? well, yep. Appreciate you posting. I know I get a lot of my updates from you. You can get all kinds of different opinions and views, so I trust you. I trust yours is coming from a biblical perspective, so <laughs> that helps me sift through yeah. all these different opinions and stuff. So follow on with Pastor oh, Scott. Oh, and there are opinions out there. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Almost as many as there are people. Yeah. yeah even more so, maybe. Yeah. Um, Scott Arthur H on Twitter, if you'd like to follow. Sorry, X, formerly known as Twitter. You can follow along. We're on Rumble as well, not live, but we post video content there. If you use the Rumble platform, uh, Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. And then questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. Questions for Hope spelled out. Uh, with letters, not numbers, questions for hope at gmail.com. You can send us your question there as well. Welcome if you're listening to us on the radio. Be careful, especially if you're driving in Tucson. It's been a little bit crazy out there on the freeway with all the construction and so forth. And keep in mind that you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. So we're not live on the radio with you, but every other platform, you're watching us live. But questionsforhopegmail.com is our email address. You're welcome to use that, and we'll get to that question on our next show. So once again, please do send your question in as long as it's sincere and honest and we can answer it from the word. It's all fair game. We'd love to hear from you today. So please do send them in. I'll try and parcel out the time with these uh, guys over here. 
these um, these reprobates. Try and keep them in line. <laughs> Scallywags. <laughs> these savages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes. Why don't we pause to pray? Sean, would you like to pr to pray today? I gave your dad the privilege yesterday. I think it's your turn. Yeah. Should well, share it around. Keeping in circulation. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, Dad, thank you that we have the chance to be here, and we pray that by grace you would make this program something that's pleasing in your sight, allow your people to be ministered to, your word to be shared, and for us to be protected from error so that we ultimately stand before you with this as something that you can be honored by rather than something that would have to be dealt with on the base of the cross, of which we're thankful for. And in the name of your Son, we pray this. Amen. 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 Yeah. We want to share with you what the Word says. That's basically sums it up. Yeah. Share the truth. Yeah. Before we do that, a um, little quick uh, update on tomfoolery to start this off lighthearted before uh -oh. we get into your realm. Uh, earlier this <laughs> afternoon, I got a call from the CDC. And for those who don't know the acronym, it's the Center for Disease Control in the United mm. States. Um, nice. I, Whenever I get a call from someone I either don't know or don't want to talk to, I answer the phone in Japanese. Uh, they told Konnichiwa. me they would call back in Japanese, and while we were doing the introduction, I got a call from them, and I was tempted as to whether pick up and start speaking in Spanish just to keep them on their toes or not, but I, that's what I get Hola. into. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder who will run out of languages first. Probably you. I have three, so. Yeah. That's, now, a, good, that's a good technique, though. We recommend that. <laughs> that. That's my shenaniganry for the day. Yeah. Well, yeah. Often you give us an update on what's going on in the world. As yeah, I'm, I'm sure well, um, there's developments all the well, time. Uh, it's just uh, like situation uh, normal uh, chaos all across uh, the Middle East. Uh, we have been told before airtime that a number of Iranian-backed militias have launched uh, further attacks at uh, U.S.-occupied military uh, installations in the region. Uh, we were promised that this was going to come to an end because um, reasons, I guess. Uh, when uh, our president, uh, after uh, three American troops were killed in attacks over the weekend, essentially did nothing uh, but say, uh, well, we don't want to see a wider war getting going. We'll attack at a time and a way of our choosing. Well, apparently the time and way of our choosing is telling the Iranians exactly where we're going to launch a missile or two so they can get all of their key personnel out and um, not have to ruin their days. Uh, United States policy in the region is uh, something that we really do need to make a matter of prayer. Uh, the United States is currently only responding uh, by talking about the killing of these uh, three American military uh, personnel. Uh, Iran, however, seeing this as a sign of weakness, has demanded that the United States put pressure on Israel to end the war in Gaza. And so the United States is pushing for a hostage deal that includes a long ceasefire. Uh, there were some reports earlier out of Qatar uh, that uh, apparently there had been some agreement about a ceasefire made with Israel in exchange for hostages being released. Uh, this is uh, definitely not confirmed and very not uh, very unreliable. Uh, our Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, uh, directed his people to look into the possibility of American recognition of a Palestinian state at the end of the war. Uh, and uh, that, to me, is uh, one of the most disturbing developments that we're seeing here because, in essence, what this will communicate uh, to the terrorists in this region is that if you go ahead and perpetrate a uh, horrendous massacre like the October 7th attacks, uh, yeah, you might lose some uh, real estate, 
but ultimately you will get the prize you've been searching for, your own independent state as a reward for your misdeeds. Uh, when the United States speaks about the idea of a uh, American recognition of a Palestinian state, and our friends in uh, the UK are also making uh, similar uh, statements, uh, the big question we got to ask is, of course, okay, which Palestinians are we going to support as the uh, governors of this Palestinian state? Uh, some have said, well, we would uh, turn this over to Mahmoud Abbas's uh, Palestinian Authority that is governing in the West Bank. However, earlier today, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, who has overstayed his uh, term limits in office by roughly about a decade and a half now, uh, has said that, oh, when the war is over, we'll have an election, and if the people want Hamas to govern them, we'll let Hamas govern them. Uh, well, poll after poll after poll shows well over 70 to 80% of Palestinians want Hamas to govern them and are completely supportive of Hamas's attack on Israel. So um, putting it all together for you, uh, if uh, the UK and the USA get their way, uh, you're going to have a Hamas-dominated state uh, there in the West Bank, uh, right across the uh, border from uh, Israel itself. Uh, so to me, uh, that seems pretty crazy. But uh, speaking of crazy, uh, instead of sanctioning Iran or responding to Iran for uh, the murder of our troops in Jordan over the weekend, President Biden boldly issued a presidential order uh, that will uh, include uh, uh, financial sanctions on those in Israel who uh, are described as violent settlers. Now, to qualify as a violent settler, among other things, means that if a Palestinian terrorist attacks your family and you respond in kind, you are a violent settler. So um, this is really just, I mean, I think we're... It explains the Second Amendment policies. We, we, we've gone through the looking, looking glass here. This is Alice in Wonderland uh, policy being talked about here. Uh, Israel's aid, uh, request to, for increased American aid, is going to be considered, but no answer is going to be given until after the elections. Why? Because uh, President Biden realizes that a large chunk of his constituency is pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas. Uh, and he doesn't want to break up his constituency and lose an election. Uh, a lot of pressure on the Biden administration for being too pro-Israel in all of this, which is stunning to me for reasons we've just enumerated uh, to you. You're about uh, the only positive thing we'd say about his term. <laughs> yeah, a uh, Israeli journal journalist by the name of Gadi Taub uh, came to this conclusion. What is the conclusion of this? The United States appeases Iran gives into its threats and exerts, as the Iranians demand, increasing pressure on Israel. Uh, Tab writes, we should finally internalize this. The policy of the United States in the Middle East is the appeasement of Iran. It is ready to sacrifice our vital interests on the altar of continuing this policy. It won't help to close your eyes. Well, this certainly was the policy of the Obama administration. The Biden administration has been called the Obama administration 2.0. So none of this should really strike us as surprising under these set of circumstances. All this to say, please uh, be in contact uh, 
with your elected officials. Let them know that you, in no uncertain terms, stand with Israel and that you vote. Uh, that is something that is going to register with them. Call your Congress, congressional representatives, call your senators, let them know that this is an incredibly important issue to you and that you vote. Uh, call the, uh, the uh, White House, let them know. Uh, exactly what uh, your point of view is on this particular issue. Because in politics, uh, often is the case, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And uh, politicians will respond to these sort of things. Uh, we need to be faithful as those who got us placed in a representative form of government like the one we have to uh, make uh, full uh, use of that, uh, that uh, franchise that we have, be able to communicate with our representatives and to vote on these key issues. Um, we just can't turn our backs as uh, Israel is left to uh, twist in the wind. By the way, our strong response to Iranian-backed uh, terror groups in the region has resulted in two more uh, tanker ships uh, being attacked uh, by the Houthi rebels today. It uh, doesn't seem like there's much consequence or much effective pushback uh, of our so-called uh, coalition uh, that is supposed to bring safe navigation through that part of the world. 15% of all world's commerce is sh shipped through that part of the world. It is now basically a pirate zone, and uh, Iran itself is providing uh, all the intelligence necessary for the Houthis to do their thing. They have sent uh, one of their own spy ships there that directs them and lets them know the precise locations of uh, these tankers and uh, facilitates the attacks going on there. Why we are supporting Iran in the midst of all of this and turning a blind eye even when they continue, as we said before airtime, uh, to, through their proxies, launch missiles and drones at U.S. emplacements in the region, uh, I have no idea whatsoever. So talk to your representatives. Uh, drop a uh, firm but polite email to the White House and uh, mostly pray. Uh, that the Lord uh, who watches over Israel, who neither slumbers nor sleeps, would continue to protect his people in the midst of these harrowing times. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. We have some questions coming in. A reminder, please send your question in, however you're joining us, whatever platform. I'll be uh, jumping around those, seeing for your questions coming in. Any honest Bible question you have, you're more than welcome to send it in to us. We have a question from Dan. I love this question. These are my favorite kind of questions. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I'm going to keep it to myself. No, I'm just kidding. Right. Dan asks, are, all are you ready? Yeah, are you ready? <laughs> you ready for this? How can I be a better Christian? What a great question. What is God looking for us from us as Christians? How can he be a better Christian? What is it to be a Christian? Well, maybe the operative word here, and you know, I'll throw it over to you, Sean, for... The, the input that you bring to all of this, is the term better, because the term better implies a progression that's going on. And that, I think, is a really important thing for us to understand about uh, what it means to be a Christian, Dan. Uh, there are those uh, that uh, will define a Christian, a real Christian, as someone that doesn't sin, uh, someone that has gotten their act together. Remember, it was the uh, uh, famous uh, Norman Greenbaum song, Spirit in the Sky, that says, you know, I'm not a sinner, I never sin, I've got a friend in Jesus. Well, if you've got a friend in Jesus, Jesus is such a friend, he's going to tell you that's not really true. Uh, none of us have <laughs> arrived say, Why did I die on the cross spiritually. Then? So, um, you know, how do you be a better Christian? Well, I think there's a roadmap 
that we find in the Word of God uh, that can give us some guidelines uh, as far as uh, how to progress in our walk with God. Remember, God's not looking for perfection. It's progression. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. There we read, But for this very reason, uh, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, what Peter lays out here is there's two kinds of Christians you're going to run into uh, in this world, uh, growing Christians and just groaning Christians. Because if you become stagnant in your faith, if you aren't in a growth mode in your walk with God, well, God's going to stir things up to get you growing again. Uh, Jesus, speaking of how he was the vine and we're the branches, talks about pruning us back so that we'll be even more fruitful in our lives. And boy, from a vine's point of view, being pruned back is not uh, pleasant, but God will do that in order for us to bear fruit. Well, what fruit should we be looking for? The fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Notice how all these are internals that God wants to do within our heart, because if God's got our heart, then sooner or later what we do with our hands, uh, what we think in our heads, what we look at in our eyes, what comes from our lips, uh, where our feet carry us, all these things are going to be affected. So, you know, uh, be in that growth mode. And uh, I just really encourage you, Dan, you know, take a look at this. God has given you faith. You want to be a good Christian. You believe in Jesus. You want to honor him. Awesome. So to your faith, add virtue. Uh, that means to walk your talk in terms of your faith. Be different in terms of the way you live your life, knowing that the moral decisions we make in this life uh, are pleasing in the eyes of God when we uh, align them with his will. Uh, to virtue knowledge, be a person that studies God's word. Look at it as God's love letter to you. Look at it as God's basic instructions before leaving earth. God's word will change you from the inside out. To knowledge, self-control. Uh, remember, we uh, are, want to be spirit-led and spirit-guided, not led by our feelings or, or emotions, which can change in a New York minute. Uh, you know, ask God to bring that kind of consistency to our life, to self-control, perseverance. Once you get on the right track, don't follow the Lord till it hurts, follow till it helps. And finally, godliness, uh, that is reflecting the character of Jesus, to godliness, brotherly kindness, learn just to be nice to people. That's a good place to start. <laughs> you I ask think, too much. <laughs> I think a lot of churches would be really great if people would just be yeah. nice to one another. And finally, uh, to brotherly kindness, love, agape love. Let God love through you. And if you make those your priorities, you're going to be fine. Mm. Yeah, I, I, you mentioned John 17, 2 Peter 1. Those are all great for practical notes. When it comes to the fundamentals, uh, obviously, you aim at nothing, you'll always hit it. If I say, well, I want to be a better Christian, then understand where that term comes from, like Christ or little Christ. Right. The more you get to know Jesus... If he's your focus, if he's your hobby, if he's your center of interest, then over time you're going to find he has a way of, I guess, uh, leaving an impression on you. So if you 
understand who Jesus is. You get to know him, not just in the New Testament, but especially as he's revealed himself in the Old. You get to know the sort of things that he's interested in, the sort of issues that, in Revelation 2 through 3 is a fantastic start, the sort of issues that he corrected people on, the issues that he wants to deal with in the lives of people who already belong to him, the things that he pays attention to, the things that he would commend the churches for, those would be areas I'd start in. But as always, and it's an any worthwhile question about Christianity goes, the answer is Jesus. If you let that be your rule in Sunday school, I guarantee at least 60% of the time you'll be right. If you want to get to know Jesus, you want to be a Christian. So the true, the same is true vice versa. If you want to be a better Christian, get to know Jesus. He's the focus. You won't go far wrong. <coughs> yeah, more faith in him, more glory to him. Trusting with More reason, him. getting no, those reasons, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like we were talking about last night in our study in Esther, you know, the whole idea of pride uh, is thinking of yourself more. Yeah. Uh, therefore, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Sometimes we get that confused. We right. think, oh, you know, I'm such a worm. How could Jesus love me? But it's learning to think of yourself less. Yeah. Um, how do we do that? Well, we think about Jesus more. Mm. And every time I start getting sensitive, every time I start feeling touchy every time I start thinking about me, myself, and I, uh, the more I can just turn around and uh, take that as a not-so-subtle tap on the shoulder mm. from God, saying, probably need to get your focus back on me. Right. Better off I'm going to be. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, I think Christian maturity can be defined as shortening that time span between that tap on the shoulder and the mm. time we respond. Yeah. So sometimes it's like this, sometimes it's like this. Yeah. Hopefully someday it's going to be like this. Right, right. Yeah, I remember, man, when I first became a Christian, uh, there was an older gentleman at the church I went to, and he said, before you, you know, before you're a Christian or maybe early days, the Holy Spirit works like, you know, you didn't want to do that. And then as you mature, it's like you don't want to do, you don't yeah. want to do that. Yeah. Like a heads up. Yeah. And like you say, yeah. learning to <laughs> That's awesome. respond a bit quicker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I didn't want to do that. Yeah. Hopefully it gets to like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And I won't do that. Yeah. I'm not going to go down that road. Dan, yeah. great question, great, a humble question. Uh, thank you for asking it. It's great to come back to those basic things. What is God <laughs> asking from us as followers of him? So thank you for that. Um, question from uh, Robert. Hello and good evening, brothers. So I'm not sure if I asked this, but it's on the topic of deconstruction of faith. This is something I've been hearing mm-hmm. about. It's like this topic, this, this new kind of term. I see this as just uh, a giving up on faith. Now, I am not saying we won't have doubts um, uh, in our faith because look at the difference between Billy Graham and Charles Templeton. They both had doubts of faith, but one continued and the other gave up. But you can either feed your doubts with lies or feed doubts with faith in the word. What are your, your guys' thoughts and what does the word say specifically about this? And also, how would I talk to someone who is going through this deconstruction? So what is this? deconstruction of faith, because this is actually like a, a movement or whatever you yeah. call it, right? Um, real quick, um, dropping uh, positive resources for you in later study, uh, Lisa Childers, I believe her yep. name would be pronounced, yep. and uh, Tim Barnett, who's the famous Red Pen Logic on YouTube, um, co-authored a book on the deconstruction of Christianity and how to respond to it. They're excellent apologists, they're very conversational, and they've mastered the art of grace in doing so. So if you want to know how to deal with that in a more social sense, I'd recommend it. The book is titled Deconstructing Christianity. So uh, note that. Uh, When it comes to what it is, uh, in a nutshell, it's actually a positive 
thing. But the problem is when it is only treated as the act in of itself and there's no follow-up of reconstructing it. Uh, when And this is the illustration, but let me, because I want to stay true to my principles, start with the definition. Deconstructing Christianity is to get to all of the false assumptions or false beliefs that have gotten mixed in with what we've essentially built is the illustration of our Christian faith and wanting to actually have a genuine understanding of reality. People who started this movement would probably have preferred it to say, instead of believing a false Christianity, or instead of letting culture dictate for me what Christians' terms mean and so forth, I want to actually believe the Christian faith that Jesus taught. Modern culture, and especially public universities, have co-opted this as to say the deconstruction is the virtue, that you're getting past all of these bigoted and racist and archaic ideas and getting down to the reality which is no belief whatsoever. Now, that is the problem, is when people deconstruct, that's actually a good thing, because all too often, especially in the churches that we serve at and the people that we minister to, the problem isn't, and you mentioned this in several of your books, uh, not the things that we do know, but the thing, or the things we don't know, but the things we do know that just ain't so, that are the problem. Deconstruction is an attempt to essentially spot those things. And the illustration is, now that we've defined our terms, the getting down to the brass tacks of what you actually believe and why, they illustrate it like a building where there are, you know, faulty rebars, some of the construction uh, wasn't so well thought through, the weight support is off balance, and you don't want to be in a position where that building is compromised. So as a good foreman would do, if it's a totally compromised building or say an earthquake happened and there's some serious internal damage, you want to deconstruct it in a safe way and then rebuild it with all of the inside right. giblets not out of order. Someone who does that is in venturing on a noble venture. And when it comes to the idea of, okay, where did I hear that from? Why do I believe that about Jesus? Who said that Jesus rose from the dead, and why do I take their word for it as opposed to other people who would deny it? Why do I trust these individuals? What's the authority of the Bible? The fact that, and this is where the individual is getting the difference between Billy Graham and Charles Templeton, the kind of person who has doubt believes there is no answer. They, they just think that it's a problem in and of itself. The person who's asking questions is doing the exact same thing as the person who's doubting, but with a different attitude, and that's what? They believe there is an answer. They're looking for it. So in a sense, when I was in my late teen years and early 20s, I, quote-unquote, deconstructed my Christianity, not because you had done a bad job in raising me in the fear and the knowledge of the Lord, speaking to my father to my left here, but because I just wasn't paying attention. I didn't care up until that point. I'd given my life to the Lord when I was 11 on Christmas Eve, but then all proverbial hell broke loose because God started dealing with the deeper issues of my heart and adolescence, so a twofer. When I started to you know, just have these amalgamations of just looking at the Bible and trying to find a specific verse that would make me feel better and not really caring about this or that, I needed some deconstruction because A, I didn't know what the Bible was, B, I didn't know what faith meant, C, I didn't know who Jesus really was, and I had no reason to trust him beyond my emotions. When that was dealt with, what, did I, what then did I do? I reconstructed my faith 
literally as a borderline addict looking for any sort of fact, understanding not just to research, but understand what I'm searching for. Why do I believe this? Why do I trust it? Doing a ground up reconstruction. Someone who wants to deconstruct is someone who's only committing to half the journey. And when we entertain the idea that there's a virtue in asking questions, you need to challenge them, deconstruct the deconstruction, right? Mm -hmm. Are you um, cultivating doubt? You're trying to encourage the idea in me that I can't know anything, that there are no answers to these questions about Christianity? Or are you deconstructing with the goal in mind of rebuilding it with more sure foundations? And that, of course, being not only knowing what you believe, but why. And sometimes people have to go back to, you know, lesson zero, so to speak, in their yeah. Christian walk with God. Yeah. Some people probably multiple times in their lifetime. Some people maybe multiple times per day. What do I genuinely believe here? What <coughs> is the foundation of what I believe about God? And does this matter? Because those are questions that will matter <laughs> long term. Once again, just to recap the points that are being made so that it's understood because it's relevant, the definition of deconstruction is not necessarily the cultivation of doubt, but understanding there's flaws in my thinking, and I need to address this from its you know first concept, first lesson. Right. The illustration was like a building. There's issues on the inside that can't just be dealt with or tweaked by just mere construction. You need to level it to the ground safely so that you can reconstruct it functionally. The issue with deconstruction, and this is the application, is when you destroy the building for its own sake, but you don't take the time to then rebuild it with sure foundations. That's the modern version of deconstruction. Mm. Dismantle your faith, have no beliefs, everything is unknowable, doubt is your friend, because it gets you out of these bad ideas, when in reality that's the bad idea that's being cultivated, that no belief will form a foundation, when in reality it leaves you with nothing. Uh, Open-minded people have no way of making their or keeping their brain from falling out. That's the point. Mm -hmm. So make sure that when you're talking to people about this, again, I would recommend Lisa Chindler's and uh, Mr. Barnett on this um, subject and how to engage with it graciously. If I were to interact with someone that's saying, well, I'm just going through a deconstruction phase right now, more power to him. God bless you on your way, or I guess Godspeed would be the proper term. But if on the other hand, they continue in this deconstruction phase, they start going the ways of the world, they don't call themselves Christians anymore, I say, how's the deconstruction going, knowing it's complete and they're just content with an empty parking lot? And I say, how about some reconstruction? That would be how I'd engage with it. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's it's like the old saw about everyone thinks it's very noble to be a seeker, but uh, we get very uh, cynical when someone seems to say, "Well, I found what I'm seeking," mm. <laughs> and and that's kind of the the uh, attitude that that we have. You know, it's yeah. like uh, the U two sign. I still haven't found what I'm searching for. Right. Um, well, I hope someday Bono makes up his mind about Jesus, and you know where he fits into his life yeah uh but but that's that's kind of that whole deal you know there's a romance if you will to the idea of saying well i'm kind of agnostic i just don't really know um you know i wrote a book called reasonable doubts and the tagline it is is your faith built on fact or fiction and what i try to do in that book is to try to show people that a lot of what people assume to be true about god is good old all-American folk religion, it's not in the Bible. Mm. And that the Bible really does have a better answer. So here you see 
the deconstruction, for instance, pointing out to somebody that, uh, say, the, uh, the expression, to thine own self be true. Right. How many times you heard somebody say, well, it's like the good book says. Yeah. As soon as they say the good book, you should probably be a little skeptical about it. But uh, they'll say, to thine own self be true. Yeah. And they, they believe that that's in the Bible because it's in King James English. Yeah. Well, Sounds it's, biblical. Uh, the problem is, uh, to thine own self be true uh, was uh, from Shakespeare, Hamlet, uh, the character in Hamlet, Polonius, who gave that advice to his children, was the buffoon of the whole play. Right. So if you want to follow the buffoon of a play from Shakespeare, knock yourself out. Yeah. So what I tried to say is, look, um, the Bible doesn't say that the way to find God is by being true to yourself. Right. As a matter of fact, it says that the heart is desperate above all, uh, is wicked above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? Yeah. Uh, but it goes on to say, I, the Lord, am the one who searches hearts and minds. If you want to know God's truth, you're going to find better answers in the Bible than these, you know, again, widely accepted but wildly wrong uh, ideas like God helps those who help themselves. Mm -hmm. That's Ben Franklin, the yep. Poor Richard's Almanac. That's not the Bible. No. But when we understand a relationship with God is based upon what we call grace, God's unmerited favor, uh, we discover a better answer because, you know, if I'm going to get to heaven by applying a little bit more elbow grease to my soul, man, uh, sooner or later, if I'm honest with myself, I'm going to realize, no, that's not going to work. Yep. Um, so, you know, there's that deconstruction. A great example of deconstruction and construction, like mm -hmm. you mentioned, Sean, in the scripture is found in Acts chapter 18 and verse 24. Uh, there we're told now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So here we see the deconstruction that went on, Priscilla and Aquila coming to uh, Apollos and saying, uh, you're right as far as it goes, but you haven't gone far enough. You need to go all the way to Jesus. And when he did, then he reconstructed his faith in such a way that he was not only powerful in evangelism, but built up the church as well. So there's a place for it, as long as you don't stop with the rubble, you know, so to speak. Right. And he was an easy sell, because John the Baptist said, that that's the guy. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. There's, there's been things I've deconstructed from maybe early church experience, things I was taught. You know, we have people come here that have to sort of deconstruct, you know, not that... I mean, we, we want to be very accurate, but not that we're perfect, but, you know, people have learned things, certain ways about going about their walk with God or, you know, ministry that you have to kind of deconstruct. And I guess it's good to ask those questions. Yeah, I think, never the, stop learning. I think the toughest... Never stop learning, yeah. Well, and I think the toughest thing in the world isn't learning, it's unlearning. Yeah, true. Yeah, I remember uh, when I went into broadcasting, uh, you know, I, back in those days, I had to type up the script for the... Uh, the, the news broadcast I was going to do at the top of the hour, and I had to learn how to type fast. I'd never taken typing. And so uh, I knew a guy who taught typing at a local high school. And I said, hey, can you teach me how to type? And the guy goes, do you hunt and peck? And I said, yeah. He goes, do you do it all the time? Yeah. 
uh, can you do that pretty quickly? Yeah, he goes, there's no way I'm gonna be able to teach you to type. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, kind of stuck yes. doing that even to this day. So, because it's hard to unlearn those old habits. Yeah, yeah, that's but, true. But God can kind of take away the false and wrong assumptions that we bring with us into our Christian life and give us a firm foundation, faith in Jesus, and then build upon that with the truth of his word. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Great. Great uh, question. Who was that? Robert. Sometimes I forget the names. Oh, people. and by the yeah. way, I have to give a shout out here to uh, a uh, guy who's uh, ministry on the X platform. I, uh, I really, really enjoy uh, his hand. His name is Aaron. His handle is Aaron in writing. He just does some amazing, uh, wonderfully gracious, but uh, very strong breakdowns of the issues of the day. Uh, theologically and spiritually, and uh, just really get a lot out of that. And uh, Aaron's joining us today. Oh, great! So, welcome. Aaron, if you got a question, feel yeah, free to send them throw on one in. our way. For sure. Welcome, yeah. welcome. Uh, thank you, Robert, for that question. Hope that helps you out on that. Um, a follow-up question from Yari. We talked about this yesterday about um, animals going extinct. Yeah. And he had a a question. I think the the bottom line is. Um, he's kind of heard that after the uh, the flood, that the land wasn't as cursed, or there was something that happened. Is is you know we know the creation fell. Are we still is creation still as fallen and cursed as ever what, been? What is, was, the uh, yeah. Yeah, what is the curse? Yeah, what is the curse? Yeah, yeah. Let me uh, read the passage. Yeah. And I'm going to uh, full disclosure. Someone needs to be let in, so I'm going to turn the camera to you, and I'm going to run and open the door, and then come back, and no one's going to know any different. Okay. Um, Genesis three and verse fourteen. <laughs> Actually, let's uh, do verse 17. Says Adam said, He said to Adam, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. So note that already. They will be able to eat from it. It's not as if there was a, a total reject or the concept of famine was 100% introduced. It was noting what? You shall eat of it, but in toil. Now, right. what was the new concept there? Not the concept of eating. That was already in the Garden of Eden. They could till the ground and tend to it. That's Genesis 2. But in toil. Now, in toil, that's a older and fancier-ish word. What does that mean? Well, it uh, essentially means hard labor. Yeah, so yeah. not just the fact that you're uh, working up a good sweat, but there are times where you're working up a bad sweat. It's like all that for nothing. Not definitely what I intended to get out of this day. The concept of a bad work day, not the concept of work, was introduced. Likewise, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Not the, generally the, uh, what is the term for the inedible thing you put as a decoration on it? The, uh, the, the parsley, the garnish. The that's garnish, yeah. So thorns and thistles, that's a new concept. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, going back to toil, you shall eat bread. So bread is being produced, grain specifically, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for the dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So despite the stereotype of Midwestern memorials and that phrase being quoted regardless of its intended meaning, what do we see here? The curse is the concept, not of food, not of farming, not even of labor, but of hard labor, of futility, of things not growing properly, or in this case, things growing in a way where it doesn't help you, it hurts you, thorns and thistles and so forth. Now, I have heard 
uh, here and there. People talking about there being this concept of a thorn is a flower that failed to bud. I don't know about that, so I won't affirm it dogmatically, but it does give me an interesting image of our saguaro cactuses and what that would look like when the Lord comes back. Take that what you will. But the idea of sin and death not just being introduced physically to creation on Adam's sake, but also onto all of creation, which we talked about yesterday in regards to why animals go extinct, this wouldn't just affect the fauna, animals, but the flora as well, farm uh, not farm life, uh, lives, not livestock either. Produce is right, the word I was looking right. for. That's what's been affected in the curse, and that's still at work, not just during Adam's time, mm. not just during Noah's time, but at our time today. Now, what's the difference going to be when the curse is removed, a la Revelation 22, is that life will not just flourish, but function the way it was always intended to be. And if that is to fulfill its purpose, that the ground will bring forth for you fruits to eat, herbs, and so forth, it's all centered back on that intended purpose, that the work that we do will produce what we intended for it to do, that there aren't things that we have to factor in or worry about, like, oh, what if there's a frost, or oh, what if uh, this just, you know, gets all the gribblies involved with it and they end up eating all of the buddings and so forth? What if the seeds don't germinate properly and so forth? All these other factors. When we're talking about the curse, we're talking about not just our physical separation from God, but a distancing of God from creation, where, as we read in Job 33, he's still involved, right? He's present in the sense that maintaining creation is a requirement for there to be one. Revelation 4 says the same thing, not just by your will they exist, but were created. Right. He's the introducer, but the maintainer. Right. So in what way does God separate himself from us? It's that, that assumed blessing, assumed favorable relationship, because we've severed that. Not just Adam personally as our political head, all our Romans 5, but our own sins have separated us from God. And noting that how that's affected nature itself shows that with the distancing of ourselves from God, it's made life hard. It's made life futile. It's made life difficult. Right. The restoration of God, and you can read this in Isaiah 11 as well as throughout the book of Ezekiel, this new way of looking at things where it's always with hope, always with joy, meaning fulfilled hope, always with that understanding that what I set out to do will be done because it's done with the one who introduced the concept. We don't have that today. We have to go about our own way, and thus purposes for programs like this hope that we're rightly dividing the word of truth because we by nature are prone to error, that we hope that this crop is going to work out because we not only live in a world where famines can be a thing, where locust swarms can be a thing, where things go wrong. It wasn't as if that was less the case before the flood or after. It's the status quo. But as we read in Romans 11 yesterday, all of creation is anticipating, literally groaning, but hoping for the day that we right. are redeemed, because with us, our severance caused all of creation to go with us because we were under it, it was under our authority. Our restoration brings all of creation back to him where we're not only able to enjoy him forever, but will have what we lost. And that's the mm -hmm. point. Not the curse, but the presence of the Lord. Yeah. And you can see examples of this even in bits and pieces. My favorite, personally, was in uh, the 
time Moses spent with the Lord on Mount Sinai, where he could spend 40 days and nights without need of food or drink, the presence of the Lord introduced new factors. Yeah. So that's the idea, this separation of God in favor of us, and noting creation is, in a sense, repulsed just by default, just like we are repulsed by God. That's not the way it should be, but it's just the way it is. Why? Because that's what the curse is. Yeah. 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 Awesome. All right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We thank you. Hope that helps with your follow-up question there. Definitely a big topic, fun to discuss uh, for sure. We have a, uh, another question from Dan. Um, why did God uh, put us on earth instead of taking us directly to heaven, uh, just like some miscarriages are taken to heaven? Or I guess you could extend it and say... I'd say all. Why but... don't we... Yeah, uh, right. That's another, another topic too. Well, why aren't we just like raptured... We talked when, about when, that. When we become a believer. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe the... Uh, the easiest way to answer this question is, you know, obviously, if uh, the the Lord saves, uh, say, miscarriages and and uh, infants who die uh, at birth before they're able to make it to sin, why doesn't it just do that with everyone? Yeah. Well, the fact is, God does not uh, trade in cookie cutter works in uh, His creation, nor in His new creation. In uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter two and verse ten. We are told, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now notice, we aren't, uh, first of all, we aren't created by good works. We are created for good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It says, but we are his workmanship. The word workmanship there is the Greek word poema. We get our term poem from it. Here's the idea of a work of art. So that each and every one of us are unique in God's, not only as a creation, no two of us are exactly alike, uh, but uh, also as a new creation. And so in God's wonderful providence, his plan, his wisdom, uh, there are some who go to heaven almost immediately, die as children and so forth, uh, before that age of accountability. We can talk about the age of accountability if, if uh, you guys would like to pursue that. Uh, then there are those uh, who God leaves here with the possibility of saying yes or no to a relationship with him. Uh, but it's all under one great umbrella. Uh, God has created all of us to reveal himself in this world. And those of us who've received Jesus as our personal savior, it's not just that we receive this gift of salvation and go hide out in a root cellar. God wants to glorify himself through us. He wants to demonstrate the beauty of his work within a life, by changing our lives, by making us more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. And if we are doing it right, uh, people always ask the question, okay, well, I prayed and I invited Jesus into my heart. I became a born-again Christian. Now what do I do? Well, it's not so much what you do, it's what God is doing in and through you. Uh, and he has this wonderful plan uh, of revealing himself in this world. Now, some obviously avail themselves of that, uh, that privilege and that relationship with him and some do not. Uh, but uh, the one thing we know for sure is uh, this world is where life makes up its mind. And Dan, right. if uh, you Eternal uh, life. Uh, gave, yeah. uh, gave, up, gave your life to Jesus during this world, well, the most important thing that you can do is walk with him daily and let people see the difference Jesus makes in your life. And then God will be glorified. That's yeah. why you're here. Right, amen. Yeah, and, to that. Well, and this is what gets back to the common atheist objection, the problem of evil, or in this case, the problem of pain. When people 
level this objection and saying, well, obviously God doesn't care about us because otherwise, if he did things the way I've decided he ought for him to do, that's a fun premise, he would make sure that we wouldn't have to go through this life, that everything and anything that we go through would just be as painless as possible. And what better way to avoid pain than not going through a world to begin with? That people who he decided and created in advance to be saved, don't grant that, will ultimately go to heaven, so why bother putting us through this if it's not just to entertain him for his sadistic whims? I don't believe this, by the way. All of it is meant to build up this working assumption that God owes us a pain-free, pleasure-full life, that his only purpose and function is to keep us from harm like pets, and so naturally would have his highest priority in getting us to heaven rather than putting us through hell. That's the best way that I can summarize this. That's not the answer to the question. That's the assumption behind the question. When we then say, well, wouldn't it be better if? Well, better in reference to what? Because the mindset that God owes us a, a hakuna matata existence is ultimately built on the assumption that's what God does. And why does it sound rational to anybody, assuming those who aren't just trolling, to assume this is what God does, this is what I'd like God to do, therefore if he doesn't do what I've decided then he doesn't exist. Well, great, then we can all agree, because the God you made up definitely doesn't exist. But if, on the other hand, we work with a God that does exist, what's the assumption behind not just our births, but our whole existence on this earth? And the answer might surprise you. There's four kinds of worlds that God could have created. Laid out by William Lane Craig, don't agree with everything he says. List is growing more and more, but this is a sound point. First, he could have created no world. He could have created, or just not created, he could just be the only thing in existence. The absolute goodness, the absolute beauty, the absolute holiness of God would be there. And if his highest priority was the preservation of all that is good, then not making anything apart from what already is just fine on its own would be there. But that's not his highest priority. So he did create a world. So if this first world and his highest priority is what? The preservation of pleasure. Well, then he wouldn't have, or at least the removal and prevention of pain, then he wouldn't have created free moral agents. We'd all just be robots. We all would only be able to function in the sense that God's nature would be already a part of us. We'd be all created in heaven. Why? Because if you allow for the opportunity for evil to exist, you are allowing something other than absolute goodness to exist. And what is that the definition of? Evil. So in the risk of evil, if God's highest priority is the prevention of evil, then he would not have created moral agency. But he did, so that's not his highest priority either. The third kind of world he could have created is where justice was his highest priority. And justice alone, we don't say that God is unjust, but justice alone is his highest priority. And in that world, what would we have seen? We would have seen Adam and Eve. We would have seen moral agents created, but the moment that they, and us along all with them, separated ourselves from God by nature, there would be no curse, there would have been a condemnation. This world would have been wiped out, we'll just, I guess, either start again or not make that same mistake, quote-unquote. But here's the problem, not the kind of world we live in. Absolute justice is not God's highest priority either. So what is the world we're now living in, where the opportunity for ultimate evil, separation from God, was possible, but also the opportunity 
for God's nature itself, love. The idea that you could say yes or no to, and that the right and preservation of said right to accept or reject, not freedom from consequence, but freedom of ultimate destination, would be permitted, that's going to be different when you have trillions of different moral agents, all uniquely made in the image of God and all regarded with the same respect and dignity, but also the responsibility that God has created. That's the world we're living in. So from that, we conclude that's where God's highest priority was. His purpose in us is not to make sure we all go to heaven like miscarriages. It's ultimately to see his nature shown, to see his nature glorified, to see his nature demonstrated, as Scripture tells us, so that in the ages to come, we would see who he really was and is and will be. But that's, that's not even the point. We've got one more question, but I don't know if we can do it. Go ahead. Uh, did Jesus really return in AD 17? We have literally one minute. It's based well, on uh, taking Josephus as an authority over Scripture when they were watching the uh, scorpions and catapults throw um, basically flaming fireballs. They said the sun is coming, and they said, oh, see, that's the fulfillment of prophecy. We don't take the word of a secular Hebrew as a hermeneutic over Revelation. Biggest uh, objection to that is Jesus' description of his return. Immediately after the tribulation in those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will get, not give its light. Then the son of, sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Uh, that did not happen in AD 70. If you were in Beijing, China, as awful as the destruction of Jerusalem was, you would have been completely unaware of it happening. So Jesus said when he comes back, everyone will be aware of it. Mm. Uh, AD 70 was not the time of Jesus' return. Great stuff. We'll see you again tomorrow, same time, same place. Thank you for being part of Reason for Hope. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.